All right, well, tonight um, we're going to continue our procession through Genesis. So Genesis 28 is where we're going to be. Uh, we left off last week at verse 9. Jacob has obtained a blessing from his father Isaac that was meant for his brother Esau. But God meant that blessing for Jacob all along, and we spent some significant time on that last Wednesday night. And at the end of the passage from last week, Chapter 28, verse 9, Jacob was being sent away for his own protection to Rebekah's brother Laban in Haran, where, uh, well, basically so that you know Esau hopefully wouldn't chase him down and, and kill him because Esau was, again, full of rage after what had happened. But, as it is sometimes said, a funny thing happened on the way to Haran, and that's what we're going to look at this evening. It's a shorter passage, but it's a very rich passage. So let's start in verse 10. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter, verse 22, but this is what it says. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. So this is um, one of the more familiar episodes in Jacob's life. Not excluding what we just read, though, or excluding what we just read, um, so far... The majority of what we have learned about Jacob up to this point has been negative. Now, I know I did make a point, and I stick by that point, that, you know, Jacob is called by Scripture a complete man. Um, He is one who did fear the Lord, but so far, most of what we have read about him has not been very flattering. His name, supplanter or heel catcher, is what it means. And he has supplanted his brother Esau twice. First there was the episode with the birthright. And then the second time with the blessing. Esau was very much in the wrong on both of those occasions. But Jacob 
uh, you know, he, he bought Esau's birthright with a pot of stew, and then at the behest of his mother, as we saw last week, took the blessing Isaac intended for his brother. And I know it, last week I used a phrase that he stole the blessing, and the more I thought about that, the more I questioned whether or not that was good terminology, because really it was supposed to be his all along. Now, he did go about taking it in a deceptive, lying way, and we did talk about that, but he didn't really steal it because it was his to begin with. Um, so most of what we've seen about Jacob thus far, it is negative, and he has not seemed to live up to that description that we saw of being complete or uh, peaceful, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. We don't get a, a full picture of Jacob's life, though. We, we do need to remember that. Um, we, we have to remember that when we're tempted to question how some of these Old Testament saints are really saints, considering some of their behavior, that we don't get the full picture of their lives. Uh, when, when the scriptures say that someone feared the Lord or that someone walked in the ways of the Lord and maybe it doesn't look like it by a brief episode, we have to remember that God has not given us in Scripture every bit of every detail of their lives or of their marriages or how they parented their children, but He has given us what He intends for us to have. But, of course, uh, what we do have, we see that Jacob has some maturing to do spiritually. He's already a grown man at this point. Um, don't be fooled that he might be a youngin. Um, he, he's probably closer to 150. Isaac is very old at this point. His eyes are dim. We saw that last week. But still, he's got some heart growing to do, Jacob does. And uh, that's really what we begin to see in what we just read. So, as we get into it, I don't want to overlook what a big deal it was for Jacob to leave home. One of the things that we saw upon first being introduced to them back in chapter 25, we saw that while Esau is described as kind of this, this man's man, this hunter-gatherer type, Jacob liked to uh, dwell in tents. He was more of a homebody. And by that I mean, or I don't mean that, that he didn't carry his weight around the property, that you know he didn't shirk his duties on the property that, that they had. Um, as we're going to see uh, in chapters forthcoming, he was a very capable shepherd. Uh, and of course, God had a lot to do with blessing him. But what that means is he, he just liked to be home, like so many of us do. We, we like to be home. Um, and now in verse 10, he departed from Beersheba. This one who liked to be home departed from home with no one else to depend on and, and nothing else to depend on except for his father's blessing. So the one who enjoyed that security of home left home in haste and would now have to be a pilgrim embarking on what was a pretty much a 500-mile, weeks-long journey to Haran. And he has to go out in faith that what his father has told him is indeed going to come to pass. That's all he's got going for him right now. And I do say he left in haste because he apparently traveled light. We can assume a couple things. We can assume he had a camel or a donkey to ride. We can assume he probably had enough food to get by at least for a while and probably some some resources to to buy more food with, to trade with on the way. But the one who dwelt in tents did not take a tent with him because in verse 11, after traveling all day, the sun set and he took one of the stones of that place and he used it as a pillow which, uh, you know, I like my pillows 
more firm than you know just but but a stone is is going a little far for me but uh, again i'm not living in that time and i'm not living in that era um i'm thankful for what i've got but uh he goes to sleep with a stone under his head and Note that we have no record of Jacob going to the Lord in prayer. We have no record of Jacob crying out to God in repentance for what has just happened back home and has spurred this journey on in the first place. We have no praying for deliverance. We don't see him praying for protection. And I'll add it doesn't mean that didn't happen. It's just that that's not included here. We have none of that, but God made a promise and he made a promise to Jacob's grandfather Abraham. He he kept that promise with Abraham or uh, Jacob's father Isaac, and he has already said he's going to keep that promise through Jacob. So, in the providence of God, that place—the phrase that's used there in verse eleven—that place where Jacob stopped to sleep was where his grandfather Abraham had once been. Back in Genesis chapter twelve, this is right when. God first speaks to Abraham and says, I am the Lord and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to, uh, uh, those who you those who bless you, I'm going to bless. Those who curse you, you know, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. When he started speaking to Abraham in this way, it was at this place where Jacob just happened to be. And um, it, it could be that... Abraham had built an altar there, we see in chapter 12, verse 8. It could be that the remains of Abraham's altar were still there, but we don't know. And, and there's certainly no indication Jacob knew where he was. So, while God, or while Jacob has known about the promises, and while Jacob has believed, we have every indication to, to think he, he's believed God's promises pretty much his whole life, He's not he, seeking at this point after God in any special way. He, he's, he's not you know, mustering up within himself this desire for God to reveal himself to him, but God is the one who acts in verse 12 because we see that Jacob's doing nothing but sleeping and he has a dream. Um, certainly a unique way for God to communicate. We do see him communicate to people in dreams other places in Scripture. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, we're told how God spoke to the prophets and to the people of old in many portions and in many ways. So God used many ways which to, to communicate with, him, with His people. And this time it was a dream. and God had appeared personally to Abraham and to Isaac before. Uh, but this is the first time that God is going to appear directly to Jacob. So... Uh, it's important. It's not going to be the last time, by the way, either, as we will continue to see. So about this dream. Now, the, this is a well-known story as far as Jacob goes. Uh, there have been even secular songs written about Jacob's ladder, uh, which carry nothing of the meaning of the episode, uh, quite frankly. But uh, the big component of this dream is a ladder. And it starts at the bottom of the earth. It goes to heaven and it would appear to have been a wide ladder as well because we see angels of God. The angels of God, the first time we see that, that uh, phrase in Scripture, they are doing what? They're ascending and descending on the ladder. And that's what many people remember about this episode when we think about it, is this picture of a ladder going from earth to heaven with angels ascending and descending. But that is not the most important thing Jacob sees here. 
and it's not the thing we most easily or, or, or should always think of either. Um, before I get to what we should first think about, I don't want to overlook the angels because they're here for a reason. They are mentioned for a reason, and that reason would appear to be revealed in what they are doing in the dream. Uh, ascending and descending, going between heaven and earth. No doubt carrying out the ministry that God has given each of them uh, on behalf of those whom God saves. And there are many places in which angels are shown in the Bible as being liaisons, uh, not mediators, only Jesus is our mediator. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.15. But uh, they are ministers, and uh, here they are going up and down from heaven to earth, and that's what they're doing. And that leads us to the main part of the dream, though, and that's when God speaks. Um, his word ends up being paramount here. It's, it's what Jacob would take with him, just as it's what we are to take with us wherever we go. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, is what Colossians 3.16 says. Before we get to, to what God said, though, we see in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it, above the, the ladder. Now, when we recall what Jesus says in John 1, he says that no man has seen God at any time, but the Son has explained Him. What he meant by that is that, uh, well, basically he's saying that when you've seen God in the past in your scriptures, you've seen me, not the Father. Uh, and, and, of course, we've seen this many times. More, more time, you know, as we've gone through Genesis We've seen this more times than I originally, uh, you know, had in my head that there were. Because over and over again, we're seeing the second person of the Trinity before he took on flesh being the one who appears to man. And, of course, Abraham saw him. And even Hagar saw him. And now Jacob is seeing him. And, and so all of a sudden, Jacob is on this journey, and all of a sudden he realizes he's not alone. He's away from home. He's away from what's familiar. There's the dangers of the world around him, the dangers of the wilderness. But all of a sudden, he's uh, has this assurance that he's not alone. God is with him, just like he was with his father and his grandfather. Finally, God is interacting with him personally, the same way he's heard about uh, from his dad and his granddad. And and he's about three days into the journey at this point. Just about the time you think he'd probably start getting a little road fatigue. And this had to be of great comfort to him. But I do want to note what God did not say to Jacob. Um, he didn't rebuke Jacob for the part he played in his mother's scheme. Remember, we've talked about how God doesn't, uh, the scriptures don't condemn Jacob for what he did. Uh, every time we see God speaking to him, it's as if you know God's just reiterating, re reiterating promises to him. And that's what we see here in verse, uh, oh, verse 13. I am the Lord. And again, that's the name, the covenant name, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. So God immediately differentiates himself, so to speak, from those ungodly wives of Esau you know, from, from, from the ones who, who, who worship idols. You, he is unique. He is holy. Yahweh is. And then he says, 
The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. And it could be that leaving for Haran, Jacob wondered what would happen to the promise. Because now he's leaving the land. So what will happen to the promise God made to my father and my grandfather? Uh, what will happen to that? After all, he has no human guarantee he'll ever return. Just like you know, none of us have any human guarantee we'll make it out that door tonight. But but you know, Esau could be hunting him down. You know, he could he could find him. You know, it wouldn't be terribly hard to do so. Any number of things here could happen. But God speaks as if to say, "I meant what I told your dad. I meant what I told his dad." You are the son in that line of promise. This land is yours, and this land is your descendants. So God is going to keep his covenant promise of land. Then, look at Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And so Jacob would have more descendants than he could ever count, or as God has previously said to Abraham, for instance, more than the stars of the sky, more than the sand of the seashore. So he's going to keep his covenant promise of descendants or seed. Okay? So what do you think comes next? Verse 14. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Does that sound familiar? That's the language God used with Abraham. So we've got land, seed, and blessing the three components of the Abrahamic covenant. Make no mistake about it, beloved. God is unequivocally validating the same covenant he made with Jacob's grandfather. This is incredibly important. God is saying to Jacob, you are now the one. Uh, remember how last week I said, you know that, that what we read last week is the last we're going to read about Isaac until he dies in chapter 35. The focus is now on Jacob, and it's as if God's saying this, you're now the one, and all that I've said is going to come true. And lest Jacob worry particularly about that land, he, he might not make it back personally. Verse 15 says, Behold, I, God, am with you. In those times, we've talked a little bit about this before, how in those ancient cultures, gods were seen as territorial. In the in the um, in the Old Testament, oftentimes we see things like the God of the Philistines, or the God of the Amorians, or the God of the Moabites, the gods of of this, the gods of that. They were seen as territorial, and when you left those areas, it was thought you were leaving those gods. Okay, so how does the one true God distinguish Himself? Well, the idea is that if you leave home, you leave your God behind you, but not with Yahweh. Not with the God of Abraham and Isaac and now the God of Jacob. God is and will be with him. Um, and of course, you know, God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is, is omnipotent. Omnip omnipresent means he's, he's everywhere. Omni omniscient means he knows all. Omnipotent means he's all-powerful. And so, you know, everything and everyone is simultaneously in his presence. Everyone and everything is simultaneously in his thoughts. There's never a time when you're out of God's thoughts, which should be a, of comfort and cause you to, to, to a little bit of holy dread at the same time. Um, and everyone is always under his sovereign lordship. There's nothing that's ever out of his, his ultimate control. 
But for God to say He would be with Jacob emphasizes this special relationship. You know, Jesus didn't say, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He did not say that to every single person. He said that to His disciples, those who were believing in Him. And that, of course, applies to us as well if we trust in Christ. Here, He's denoting that special relationship. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And then He says, and will bring you back to this land. You know, God didn't really need to bring Jacob back to the land to make all of these other promises come to pass, but as if to, to, to say, just to prove to you I am God, you just wait, you'll be back here. You'll be back. Um, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you, he said. In other words, Jacob was guaranteed to live at least as long as it took to get him back to the land. Um. But, but again, the focus here is not on Jacob. The focus here is on the God who initiates relationship with this, this man who he, he chose before birth, and, and this same God who is faithful to carry out and keep all of the promises that he has made, uh, particularly the, the promises of the covenant. And again, I can't stress enough how the Abrahamic covenant... Uh, you know, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, all of the rest of the scripture is essentially about God fulfilling all of the promises in that covenant. And, and we will continue to see that as we're seeing it here. So that's the dream. The dream is over. The dream ends. If you've ever had a, one of those vivid dreams that you just woke up from, Jacob woke up, um... And understandably, his first responses are of shock and awe, uh, surprise and fear. Look at verse 16 and 17. Um, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. That, that's not to say that Jacob didn't understand God was omnipresent, but he had not recognized before that God was with him personally, on a special, in, in a special way. That God was in that place, that phrase, that place, in a special way. This is none other than the house of God, which, by the way, is why in verse 19... He calls the name of that place Bethel. We often say Bethel when we're reading it. Um, next time you're reading through it, try to remember to say Bethel because there should be a hyphen between the, 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 the H and the E because Beth means house in Hebrew. Or it's more like Beth. Uh, and then El with a capital E is short for Elohim, which is the Hebrew word for God. Okay, House of God. Like uh, the word Bethlehem, Bethlehem Baptist Church, House of bread, as is what Bethlehem means. Um, anyway, that's just a, a minor point. But Jacob was afraid, but fear in this case is good. Fear, fear is in this case the fear of the Lord. I went to uh, cookout for lunch today, um, and uh, on the bottom of their cups is "God bless America" and then Proverbs one seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Um, I, I wrote that in my notes before I went there, but I thought that was cool. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Jacob had that kind of fear now. The fear of the Lord. And, and, and so he's beginning to know that the Lord can be seen, can be found in unexpected places. Like Bethel. Um, this knowledge is going to serve him well. Because he's going to be away from his father's house for over 20 years. He's not coming back anytime soon. Um, we'll be getting into that. But Jacob would have to become a living example of, of a great verse. Psalm 90 verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Jacob is going to learn to, to grow in the grace and knowledge of his Lord. He's going to have to trust in Yahweh. And whenever we're exposed to the glory of God, whenever we're exposed to truth, whenever we're exposed to the Word of God, we have one of two uh, responses to it. Um, it's kind of like the parable of the, the, the soils. Um, three of the soils end up not working out, so they're, they, they're kind of lumped together as the bad response. The, the response of the faithful is to worship God. When we're exposed to truth, it should always drive us to worship God. And, and what we see here in Jacob is that um, verse 18, verse 19, he turns his pillow into a pillar. I'm not sure of the Hebrew words there for pillow and pillar or pillar, uh, but uh, I found that the English, that, that little play on words, he not an altar but a pillar, he pours oil on it to consecrate it, to to to, and consecrate means to, to, to make it holy, to set it apart as a memorial. Uh, and the pouring out of oil, when we see that in the Old Testament, oftentimes it's symbolic uh, of setting one apart, of pouring out one's life to the Lord. Well, we see that with the anointing of kings because they are to be set apart for the Lord to do the work God ha has them to do, like with David, the anointing of David. Um, and that's what Jacob is promising to do in verses 20 and 21. Look at that. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And I don't want you to be thrown by the word if. Okay? The, 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 the first word that Jacob utters here is if in my translation and probably in your translation because I looked at a lot of translations to see if I could find one English translation a major English translation that doesn't have the word if because it sounds like Jacob is putting conditions on his own faith. Well, we know that's not how God works. Uh, we don't get to bargain with God. Um, and that's not really what Jacob was saying here. That word if in the Hebrew can also be since. So Jacob's not proposing some arrangement with God. Jacob's not trying to to work out a deal with God here. Uh, he's saying God is promising to do all of this. God is my God. That's what he's saying. He, he's responding to God's faithfulness with faith of his own, which is how we all should be. Um, he, he is affirming that he will seek Yahweh, he, that he will worship Yahweh alone, that he will honor Yahweh alone. And in verse 22 he says... This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, 
and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So at the time Jacob said this, dedicating, dedicating to give a tenth of all God gave back to God, at the time there was no definitive law about this. Now, uh, Moses is hundreds of years into the future, um, at least probably 400 years roughly. Um, so there's no Ten Commandments yet. There's no Mosaic Law yet. There are, there's no laws about tithing yet. It could be that Jacob was drawing on an episode that his grandfather Abraham had had. If you recall back in chapter 14, Abraham had this encounter with a king priest named Melchizedek. And Abraham gave him a tenth of all. Um, it could be he's drawing on that. The story that maybe he heard from his grandfather or from his father. Later, you know, tithes will become very important in Israel under the Mosaic Law. Um, we're not under the Mosaic Law now. Uh, the, Christ has fulfilled the law is what the, the, the New Testament teaches us. But we are called to uh, give cheerfully with liberality. And, and we are called to do that because of what Christ has done for us. And that's what Jacob is doing here. He, he is understanding that based on what God has done for me, I want to do back for God in, in this, this small but significant way. Um, that's the fruit of obedience. That's the fruit of faithfulness. And, and to that end, I want to close by drawing upon that because God's the one who ultimately gives His own Son that so me and you and Jacob could be saved. And I want to come back to that ladder just for a minute because what was that ladder? What, it, was, it was from earth to heaven. It was not a literal stairway to heaven. It was just a dream. But what did it do again? It, it bridged the gap between heaven and earth. It bridged a gap between where God dwells and where man is. It bridged a gap between God's infinite holiness and our infinite neediness. So this ladder, if we're ultimately infinitely needy, there's no way we can build that ladder to get to God ourselves. God has to provide the ladder for us. So in that way, God himself is the ladder. I say this because almost 2,000 years later, there's a man by the name of Nathaniel in John chapter 1. And a guy named Philip comes up to him and says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel has that, that line that we remember, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says, Come and see. And so he does come and see. And when Philip or when Jesus sees Nathanael coming to him, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Uh, and Nathanael wonders how Jesus knows him, and Jesus responds that before Philip came to him, he saw Nathanael sitting under the fig tree. And, and this is enough to provoke in, in Nathanael a confession of faith. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, which is quite the declaration of faith, a very strong assertion of who Jesus was. And how does Jesus respond to that? In John 1.50 he says this, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the one who spoke to Jacob, in whom Jacob was entrusting his whole life, to whom Jacob was promising to be faithful as he went on in his neediness, believing in the holy, faithful God. And now Jesus was saying 2,000 years later, I am the means by which your needs are met. Jacob would need to know this. Jacob would need to remember this and hold on to this just as desperately as you and I do I need to do that today. And as he would proceed in Genesis, as we proceed, we're going to see Jacob continue to mature, but his need is never going to get any less. He's always going to need the grace of God. He's always going to need the provision of God. And we will see how God kept his promises, how God keeps his covenant, and how God is and will be faithful also to you and me if we trust in him. Uh, Until then... um, We go out tonight, and let us go out tonight just as Jacob met God in a place called Bethel, the house of God. Let us go out as those who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. Do you realize tonight that if you are in Christ, you are Bethel. Christ dwells in you, the hope of glory. Jacob had the hope of glory, and so do we. And uh, we will continue to see that as we proceed in Genesis. Let's pray. Father, when we can look at this and, and just kind of put ourselves in, in, in Jacob's uh, sandals, I guess, um, we can identify with Jacob because here's a man who, oh, he, he trusted in you, but it, you know, there was something missing. And it's as if, you know, the fear of you came upon him and, and faithfulness just began to to flow out of him. Now, Father, as we will see continuing on in Genesis, Jacob is not done making mistakes. Just as we are not done making mistakes. We are not done sinning. Jacob had not yet seen all the promises come to pass. It just as though we are in Christ, we, we don't we have the down payment of our inheritance in the in the Holy Spirit, but we we wait for the culmination of all the promises you've made to us. We can really identify with Jacob, Father. Let us live as if we're in Bethel. Let us live, Father, knowing you're in us through the means of the Holy Spirit. May that embolden us to walk in faith. And may we flee from sin. May we be comforted by your presence, even if we're all alone in this world. May we be comforted with the fact that you are with us. Father, you are so good to us. You're better to us than any of us deserve. We cannot get to you on our own. We could never climb that ladder. It it is an impassable gulf. But your son Jesus Christ has bridged that gap, bridged that gulf to where our neediness is fulfilled by your holiness, your righteousness. May we be shocked and awed by your glory tonight. And may we live lives that respond with worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.